0: Tonight we're going to be looking at Psalm 92. So if you have your Bible and want to follow along, we're going to be looking at Psalm 92. And I chose this psalm because it really is a psalm of thanksgiving, if you will, uh, to the Lord. And what I'd like to do, a lot of times I don't do this, I'd like to take the time tonight to start out with just reading the psalm and letting you guys follow along in your Bibles as I read out loud Psalm 92. You will notice at the heading of the psalm, it says, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. And then the psalmist begins, it is fitting to thank the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O sovereign one. It is fitting to proclaim your loyal love in the morning and your faithfulness during the night. To the accompaniment of of a ten-stringed instrument and a lyre, to the accompaniment of the meditative tone of the harp. For you, O Lord, have made me happy by your work. I will sing for joy because of what you have done. How great are your works, O Lord! Your plans are very intricate. The spiritually insensitive do not recognize this. The fool does not understand this. When the wicked sprout up like grass, and all the evildoers glisten, it is so that they may be annihilated. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Indeed, look at your enemies, O Lord. Indeed, look at how your enemies perish. All the evildoers are scattered. You exalt my horn like that of a wild ox. I am covered with fresh oil. I gloat in triumph over those who tried to ambush me. I hear the defeated cries of the evil foes who attacked me. The godly grow like a palm tree. They grow high like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the Lord's house, they grow in the courts of our God. They bear fruit even when they are old. They are filled with vitality and have many leaves. So they proclaim that the Lord, my protector, is just and never unfair. Before I share a few more in-depth comments, I'd like to share with you what I wrote about this psalm in the book Psalms and Proverbs. I have here that the title is The Blessing of Corporate Worship. This psalm or song is for the Sabbath day. This was a day God told His people to set aside to worship Him together. In the Old Testament, this day was to commemorate God's day of rest after creation as a model for mankind. In the New Testament, the church began meeting on Sunday to commemorate the Lord's resurrection. Even though the day may be different, the purpose is still the same. God's will for his people is to come together and worship him corporately. Though our lives should be filled with worship every day, our corporate worship should be both an extension and overflow of our individual worship throughout the week. James Montgomery Boyce writes, how do you approach Sunday? Do you think of it as a day in which you have to go to church, one of the duties you try to get over as soon as possible so you can spend the rest of the time with your family or get on to other more enjoyable things? Or do you think of it as a precious day given to you by God in which you can learn about Him and so praise Him? Is Sunday a trial or a treat? Is it a delight or a deadly duty? If we are not coming together as God's people to worship Him at least once a week, we are missing one of the greatest privileges and responsibilities God entrusts to us as His followers. The psalmist begins by reminding us how fitting it is to worship God corporately. Our worship is always fueled by our growing relationship with Him. But in verse 6, the author reminds us that if we are not growing, we will become spiritually insensitive to who God is and what He has done and is doing. When that happens, our worship dries up like the desert. God's requirement is to find a church family where we can grow and plant ourselves there, verse 13. Our priority as a Christian should be to choose a church where we grow so that we produce the fruit of worship. Our goal should be to plant ourselves there and be settled. This is the exhortation of the psalmist in Psalm 92. The blessing of God will fall upon us when we follow God in obedience. When you study Psalm 92... I want tonight to give you five words that all start with P that really summarize the theme of this psalm. And the first one is actually found even before you get to verse 1 in the heading, and it's the word pause. And that's what I think we get when we look at the Sabbath day. Remember, the psalmist says this is a song for the Sabbath day. Why did God give his people the Sabbath day? Because they were to deliberately pause. They were to, in a sense, have an intentional intermission in their lives and stop everything and come together and worship him. And God said, this is very important. Because if we don't deliberately pause, if we don't intentionally have intermissions like this in our lives, then pretty soon life takes over and we don't have time for God. We don't have time to get together. Other things creep into our lives. And so it's very important. And this is why God gave man the Sabbath. Listen, as we know from creation, God didn't take the seventh day off because he was physically tired. You know, oh man, it's, this was hard to to create the universe. Now I got to take a day off. He did it as a model for us, so that at least one day a week we would stop working, and we would focus on Him. And it, and even in that, there's faith because God was saying to His people, "Trust Me enough to take care of you. Don't work seven days a week. Yes, work is noble. Yes, work is good." I want you to work, I want you to have a good work ethic, but I want you to take time every week to come together with like-minded people and worship me. And that's why he created the Sabbath. And that's why also in the New Testament, God called his people to come together on the first day of the week, Sunday, for the very same thing. It is important that we deliberately pause in our lives, If we don't pause in our lives to thank God and to worship Him, we probably won't do it just like we won't read our Bible and study it daily. We won't pray as we should if we don't set aside time deliberately to pause and say, that's my time in the Word. And nothing's going to interfere with that. And that's my prayer time. And nothing's going to interfere with that. And that's my time to come together with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And nothing's going to interfere with that. If you and I don't approach life that way, other things will interfere. And that's why God gave us the Sabbath. He wanted to teach us about how important it is that we pause and get out of our routine and turn to Him, and put our focus on Him, and on His Word, and on one another. And that's really a good principle, again, not just for us corporately to do, but for us individually. Again, if you and I don't, look, we can always turn to the Word throughout the day, or throughout the week, and read it, and study it anytime we want to, and we can pray anytime we want to, but let's face it, if we don't set aside deliberate times where we say, "That's my time." to get in the Word, and that's my time to pray, and that's my time to do my spiritual disciplines, and that's my time for church, and I'm not going to let anything interfere with that. If we don't approach it that way, then other things will crowd it out. And we'll go through days and weeks without getting into the Word, without praying, without meeting with each other and stuff like that. And that's why God says, pause, hit the pause button, don't just keep running through life because if we do that, pretty soon we're going to look up, and again, all this time's going to go by, and we'll not have taken the time or made the time to carve out those what I call intentional intermissions in our life. And that's what's so important about even the heading of this psalm. Then, when you get into the first four verses, the next Word, that starts with P, is praise. It is important to God that God's people not only, as I said, praise Him individually, but come together and praise Him corporately. And you'll notice in these verses the importance of music. It is fitting to thank the Lord and to sing praises to your name. The word fitting not only means appropriate, but it's also a word in the Hebrew that means beautiful. God is saying, "It is beautiful when my people praise me, when they make the time to thank me and to sing praises to my name, to make music in praise of God." And I love this. The title of God here in verse one is "O Sovereign One." It also could be translated to the Most High God. It speaks of elevation and lofty. It looks at God as being higher than anything or anyone else. Then in verse 2, he says, it is fitting to proclaim. It means to publicly declare. Not just to keep my praise of God to myself, but again, to come together as God's people and for us to publicly proclaim your loyal love in the morning. The word loyal love can also be translated loving kindness or favor. It speaks especially in the Old Testament context about the covenant loyalty of God to His people. When God would make a covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, with anyone, He was good for His covenant. He was good to His word. He would keep His word. He would keep His promises. And and people uh, down through experiencing God and interacting with God, realized how important it was that, you know, so many promises in their lives would be broken by others and so many commitments might not be followed through, but God was always true to His Word. And that was something to praise Him for and thank Him for, that whatever God has promised us, whatever He told us He was going to do, He does it. And that's something we should praise God for. And then verse 3 and 4 talks about to the accompaniment of a 10-stringed instrument and lyre. There are some people that believe that, that instruments should not be used to praise the Lord, but the Psalms contradicts that. The Psalm says God loves it when we not only sing to Him with our voices, but when we use instruments to praise Him as well. To the accompaniment of the meditative tone of the harp. By the way, if any of you can play a lyre and harp, I'm sure Nicole would like to talk to you. We'll get you up there. For verse 4 says, For you, O Lord, have made me happy by your work. The word happy means to brighten up or cheer up. The psalmist is saying, God, even in your deeds and in your your work, you brighten me up, you cheer me up. By the way, it's really cool too that the word work here literally in the Hebrew means workmanship. Workmanship. It it speaks about an artist, one who's creating something. And when you think about that word, doesn't that remind you of what Paul said about us in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians when he says, we are his what? Workmanship. We are his masterpiece, his work of art that he's working on continually. And And the... Psalmist, even in the Old Testament, is saying, God, when I think about your workmanship and how creative you are and what an artist you are and what you do and what you can bring out of things, he says, you brighten my day and you cheer me up. And then he says, I will sing for joy because of what you have done. This word sing for joy means to shout or cry out. It means that God not only appreciates singing and appreciates musical instruments in praise of him, but he wants it to be loud. Yeah, you heard me. I know some people don't like loud, but I'm I'm just going to warn you. When you get to heaven, worship of God is not going to be soft. Those angels up there, I'm telling you what, they cut loose. And I'm sure when the saints are up there, they're, they're, pra- they're not holding back. You know, when you and I get to heaven and when we're in glory and when we're with God, we're not going to worry about what our voice sounds like. And we're not going to worry about how we come across to someone else. And all the inhibitions, all of it's going to be gone. And we are going to just praise God. Now, if we could capture a little bit of that down here, that'd be nice. That's why sometimes when people get a little excited at the Oasis, they're like, I'm sorry. but I'm like, don't be sorry. You say amen and you shout and you you get into it if you want. You get into worship if you want to. It's okay. Thank you. In fact, I'll share one other thing and then we'll get to the next one. Up in verse 1, the word thank means to worship or acknowledge God with extended hands. Some people wonder, why do people raise their hands or extend their hands? It's actually a biblical term. It means a couple things. We just sang the third worship song tonight about presenting ourselves as an offering and offering ourselves. So one of the shades of meaning of this is, in in extending our hands in a sense, we're offering ourselves to God, saying, God, I'm yours. But there's another meaning Two of that. And that is that we're also when we extend our hands upward to God we're also acknowledging that all that we are and all that we have is because of Him. There's a connection there. And so we see in the Psalm 92 the importance of pausing and the importance of praising the Lord. And then the rest of the Psalm sort of takes a turn. And now for the rest of the psalm, he's going to tell us, oh, and by the way, when you and I pause to praise God in our lives individually and corporately, it benefits us. God blesses those who take time to bless Him. There's always great fringe benefits for those who listen to the Lord and do things His way. He will always bless us and favor us. And so in the rest of the psalm, the psalmist is sort of reminding us, even from his own life, what are some of the benefits when we pause to praise the Lord and when we fill our lives with gratitude and appreciation and worship for the Lord. Well, notice verse 5. How great are your works, O Lord. Your plans are very intricate. The word plans can also mean the thoughts of God. And so he's saying here that, God, your thoughts are very deep and profound. And he's acknowledging that. Just like God says through the prophet Isaiah, my ways are not your ways. My, my plans are not your plans. So the psalmist understands as he begins to praise the Lord and realize how high and lofty God is and who God is through his worship, he realizes, oh my goodness, God, even your thoughts are so deep and profound. But it's it's when you and I make the time to pause and praise God and worship Him as we should, that God, because of that, Begins to give us, and here's the third word, perception. (laughs) Perception. A perception that will come to those who pause to praise the Lord. Because notice what he says in verse 6. He's drawing a contrast here. After he has stated that the Lord's thoughts are deep and profound in verse 5, he says, But the spiritually insensitive do not recognize this. And in the context, the spiritually insensitive are those who do not refuse to, whatever, pause to praise God corporately and individually. When we do not worship God, we miss something ourselves. And part of what we miss is a perception that God will build into our life as we come before Him and worship Him and make Him the priority of our life. Notice he goes on in verse 6 to say, The fool does not understand this. The word understand means to discern, to perceive, to have insight. The way you and I gain insight into our life is when we make time to be with God. And when we make time to come before Him and acknowledge Him and praise Him and worship Him, then we begin to have a perception, an insight into things. And then, beginning in verse 7, I think he also talks about the next word, perspective. Out of this deepening perception, we get Perspective. And the perspective specifically given here in Psalm 92 is about how as you look around sometimes as a psalmist did at the circumstances around him and what was going on, it may seem to us as if the evil and wicked people on earth are the ones who are prospering and flourishing and getting ahead. And it almost seems like God and His will and and the good people of earth seem to, to be swallowed up and and, and where's God? And, and, you know, how's all this going to end? And evil people are getting ahead. Well, when you and I worship the Lord as we should, we get God's perspective. And notice God's perspective beginning in verse 7 is this. He says, When the wicked sprout up like grass... And all the evil doers glisten. And I love that translation because literally in the Hebrew, it means to shine or sparkle. It's as if you look at evil, wicked people and it seems like everything's going right for them. They're prospering. They're flourishing. Even maybe as we look around at the world today and we see, you know, terrorism and, and, and evil, wicked people just, you know, further and further inroads. And it just seems like, oh, they're, they're winning, right? Notice what he says. It is so that they may be annihilated, brought to nothing, overthrown. And who's going to do it? God. Listen, folks, when you and I take time to worship God and get to know Him, then we don't fret over what happens on earth. Because it's not like God's up there in heaven just wringing His hands, looking down at the things that are happening on earth, going, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Those it, It's out of control, and I don't think I can control any longer, and, 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 and things are just awful, and what am I going to do? There's not one second of God's existence ever like that. God sits calmly on His throne where He has reigned forever. And He doesn't let all these mere human beings, no matter how evil and wicked and all of that that they are, somehow get Him all riled up and upset. First of all, all He would have to do is speak the word and everybody dies. And if God is allowing something, it is only because it fits in with His plan and purposes for this earth. It's only when you and I, though, distance ourselves from God and we stop getting into His presence and recognizing who He is that the things on earth, no matter what they are, whether they're in our personal lives or going on around the world, then that becomes upsetting. And it only becomes upsetting because we've lost connection with God. We forgot He's the sovereign one. He's elevated. He's lofty. He's reigning. He's ruling. There's nothing taking God by surprise. There's nothing that's, that's uh, you know, fooling God and, and getting one up on God. God's got everything under control. And that's the perspective God wants His children to have. It's one of the reasons why He asks us to worship Him because worship doesn't just benefit God. Worship benefits us. It gives us perception. It gives us a proper perspective. Notice he says in verse 9, indeed, or or in verse 8, he says, But you, O Lord, reign forever. You, Lord, alone, is what the Hebrew, you occupy the highest place in the universe and always have and always will. Indeed, look at your enemies, he says in verse 9, O Lord. Indeed, look at how your enemies perish. And I love this. In the Hebrew, the word perish means to melt like wax. Reminds me of that last uh, scene in the Indiana Jones movie. Where they open up the Ark of the Covenant and they all melt like wax. Well, actually, that's Biblical. And then he goes on to say, all the evildoers are scattered. Now, to us, notice again the benefit here. You exalt my horn like that of a wild ox. We might look at that and go, well, that doesn't sound too good. But remember, horns in the Bible were used, especially in connection with the animals that had horns, as symbols of strength. And so he's saying, God, you increase my strength like that of an ox. And and in the Hebrew, again, I hate to keep bringing out the original, but it's so rich here, it means you increase my strength so that I can conquer, so that I can overcome, so that I can prevail. And then he says... I am covered or anointed with fresh oil. Doesn't that remind you of Psalm 23? You anoint my head with oil. And why did they anoint oil on the head? It was a way to refresh and reinvigorate. Even for sheep, when shepherds would do that, it was a way to refresh the sheep. And so he's saying, not only God, when I worship you, do you increase my strength and increase our strength as we come together and corporately worship you, but you reinvigorate and refresh us when we come together and we pause to worship you. Verse 11, again, you don't get this maybe in the English translation, but it says, I already gloat in triumph over those who tried to ambush me. In other words, I already see the defeat of my enemies. It hasn't happened yet, but God, when I'm in your presence, I realize that their defeat, because they're not just against me, they're against you, I I see their defeat. it's, It's like when Jesus said to his followers, I see Satan falling like lightning from the sky. It was as if it already happened. And God wants us to see that as well. He goes on to say, I already hear, verse 11, the defeated cries of the evil foes who attacked me. And so the final P word here would be prosperity. God not only gives me perception and perspective, but He prospers us when we pause to worship Him. Notice in verse 12, The godly grow like a palm tree. The word grow means to flourish or prosper. Why does God, through the psalmist, use the palm tree as a symbol of prosperity for God's people? A couple reasons. One, palm trees, and and specifically here, it is the date palm, okay? Why does God use the date palm as an illustration of of prosperity about His people? First of all, because the date palm flourishes in some of the toughest conditions. Date palms flourish, as we know even here in Phoenix, in the desert. And so God is saying... If you put me first and you worship me and you pause to come before me and get your priorities right, guess what? Then you will flourish and prosper no matter what's going on around you. Because I will make you like a date palm where you don't have to have all the perfect conditions all the time to be thriving and growing and prospering and flourishing. You can be like a date palm that even when things aren't right, you can still thrive. That's the kind of people God wants to create today. Listen, the conditions in the world aren't for Christians today. But God is saying, I'm such a great God that if you just follow what I tell you to, you can thrive, prosper, and flourish even in the most unbelievable negative conditions. Because it's never about the conditions of the circumstance. It's about whether you stay connected to me. I mean, we see that throughout the Bible. You think about the story we just went through, the story of Joseph, a man who prospered in Egypt. How about Daniel, a man who prospered in Babylon. We just went through the book of Ruth with the gals here at church. There's a woman who prospered in a foreign country as a poor woman who had lost her husband. And yet things turned out pretty well for Ruth. God, over and over again, shows us in the Bible, through human beings just like us, that most of the time, they didn't have the perfect circumstances or conditions surrounding them, and yet because they put God as a priority in their life, they were able to flourish and prosper. And another reason why God uses the date palm is because the date palm is considered the most useful tree of all trees. Listen to this. Date palms produce all these things. They produce dates. Duh, I know you're going to say that. It also produces sugar, wine, honey, oil, resin, rope, thread, tannin, and dye. All those things can be gleaned from a date palm tree pretty useful tree huh a lot of trees just have one use one fruit and that's it not the date palm and so he's saying there you can grow to be useful and beneficial in so many ways to so many people if you grow you see And then he goes on to say in verse 12, they grow high like a cedar in Lebanon. It means they enlarge, they increase. But here's a key, verse 13. Where are they planted? They are planted in the Lord's house. Oh, can I tell you as a pastor how I wish that Christians today would be willing to be planted in God's house? And be settled there? Because... From my understanding of this psalm, notice that growth comes after planting in verse 13. They grow in the courts of our God. And I've said this for years, not just here, out here in Arizona. You can go back and listen to messages from me 30 years ago in Maryland. And I've said this consistently for years, that my belief and my conviction based upon the Word of God is that Christians will not grow to their full potential apart from being part of the church. Why? Because that's God's will. That's the way God designed it. And Christians can say, I can grow and I can reach my full potential outside of being part of a local church. But that's not the way God designed it. Why do you think God calls pastors and teachers to share our gifts? Where? I'm not called by God to go on some street corner somewhere or go wherever. God calls me to a church to share my gift. Why does he do that? Because he wants people to benefit from the gift he gave me. Just like he wants me to benefit from the gifts that he gives you. So that we can both mutually grow and benefit from the things He's given to each other. If we stay apart from each other and we don't come together in corporate worship and come together to grow, then we're never going to benefit from each other and reach our full potential. And then I love this, especially, you know, I'm getting up there now. So I love verse 14. They bear fruit even when they are old. It is said of the date palm, listen to this, it is said of the date palm that the older the date palm, the sweeter the fruit. I like that. And that's why I hope to become a a sweet older man. Because we all know, let's face it, there are some folks, not all, But there are some folks, the older they get, the crankier they get. And God says, my people, no, no. My people, if they're continually walking with me, then the longer they've walked with me and the older they get, they should get sweeter. Their fruit should be sweeter the older they get. They are filled with vitality and have many leaves. It means, again, prospering and flourishing, even when they're old. That's what I love about God and and our spiritual life is, you know, we live in a world where it is pretty much for the younger person. I mean, you know, I follow sports, and it's like, someone who's 30 in the National Football League is like washed up. You're going, 30 and you're washed up? I mean, how depressing would that be to say, you know, I reached my peak in my life at 30 and then it was all downhill from there. Really? That's pretty dep- No wonder people get depressed. Where as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, according to the Bible, I never reach a ceiling. I never get to a place, no matter how old I am, where I say, well, you know, I've done all the growing I can do, and I've learned all about God I can learn, and there's no more I can grow, there's no more I can... No, it never gets to that point. So I could be a hundred years old, and I could still be prospering and flourishing spiritually. It never has to stop. And it never should stop. Verse 15. So they proclaim, again, publicly declare that the Lord is their protector. Right. It means rock and refuge. He is our support and defense. Yes. Right. And that God is just and never unfair. Right. Let me say that that word unfair can also be translated wrong. God is never wrong. Always right. Never wrong. So Psalm 92. A great psalm at any time of the year. But I think a very appropriate and fitting psalm around Thanksgiving. Because it reminds us of the importance to pause to praise and worship God. Not only corporately, because this was written for the Sabbath when God's people would come together And that's important to God. But also privately for us to pause and praise God in our lives. And when you and I do that, God will fill our lives with perception, perspective, and prosperity as we continue to grow in Him. You guys are the best. Thanks for putting up with me. Let's close in prayer. Father, You are amazing. And God, if we would just get more in touch with You, the things of earth would not bother us as much. Would not fill our lives with fear and anxiety because we would truly realize and recognize You've got it. And God, You've got us. You are our personal protector. And so God, I pray tonight that if nothing else comes out of this message tonight and this time in your word, that, that all of us would be a little bit more inspired and motivated to pause to praise you. To make time, Lord, to deliberately pause in our life and to and. Intentionally have those intermissions where we say, God, this is my time. I'm going to worship you. And yes, it's great to have spontaneous, unplanned times of worship and time in the word and prayer. But God, let's be honest before you. Most of the time in our busy lives and schedules, if we don't deliberately set aside time for your word, and time for prayer and time for worship that the hours and the days and the weeks go by and we look up and we haven't we haven't done it as much as we should have so god i pray tonight that we would be more diligent in making the time and setting aside time, God, for you in our lives. To come before you, to extend our hands and our arms, to acknowledge that we are yours and that all that we have and all that we are is because of you, God, and only you. God, we thank you for all that you do for us. And I just pray, God, tonight that we would create an environment even here at the Oasis where people are just inspired and motivated to worship you more and more. God, use this little church to influence and impact so many other lives. Thank you, God, for these faithful ones who come out the night before Thanksgiving. Lord, I pray that you would give us a great day with our family and friends tomorrow and throughout this holiday season leading up to Christmas. And help us, God, and give us opportunities as your people to witness and testify about you this Christmas and holiday season. May our thankfulness cause others to pause and be thankful. May our focus upon Christ this Christmas Cause others to pause and focus on Christ as well. And God, use us in this little more than a month we have left in this year to point people to Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys, for being here. We'll see you on Sunday.